Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf Tzadi Hey, page 95. Yerdena, we're making headway. Um, it's really, I, I remember this, you know, that time at the beginning of Yevamot when the pages were long and complicated, and they're still long and still complicated, but I think that we all now have a new vocabulary of Yevamot, and I just want to pause for a moment to appreciate that. Um, Okay, speaking of which, on Ahmed Aleph here, we have a case that kind of refers to a case that is really discussed elsewhere. It's not exactly discussed on the, on the daf. It ends up being a machlok at Beit Hill and Beit Shammai, a dispute between the two of them, um, the two schools of thought. And Rabbi Yehuda kind of assesses their dispute. But their dispute, if you go back, if you trace back to look for it, is not exactly immediately before, not just not on um, Ahmed Aleph on our, on our daf, but it's not on the bed of the previous stuff either, meaning you have to look for it elsewhere. However, that is not my concern right now. I want to read the passage that is here that's specifically about this machloket, Beit Hila Beit Shammai, where Rav Yehuda is going to tell us what they did and didn't disagree about. Amar Rav Yehuda, lo nechleku Beit Shammai u Beit Hilal beva al chamoto shoposel et ishto. Beit Hila and Beit Shammai did not disagree about, they did not disagree about the fact that one who sleeps with his mother-in-law will then um, disqualify his own wife from staying married to him. Meaning they agreed that that would be the case. What did they disagree about? Now, this is a case here, Daniel, that you discussed yesterday. And this is a case that we've seen many, many times. It was interesting to me that Bechama and Bechil start off with this other case that they don't disagree about, that we haven't actually really been talking about. Of course, the question of what is the scenario in which the man sleeps with his mother-in-law is concerning. We'll table that for the moment. Um, so what they disagreed about, where a man sleeps with his wife's sister, so Bechamai says that that would disqualify his wife, meaning because he has the man has slept with his wife's sister, which is an Arayot case, right? It's one of the prohibited uh, sexual liaisons that is listed in Sefer Vayikra. And Beit Hillel says it does not disqualify the wife. Amar Rebiosi, and you're going to talk more about Rebiosi, but he's a key voice on these topics. Amar Rebiosi, lo nechleku Beit Shammai u Beit Hillel bevalachot yishto. In fact, says Rebiosi, in disagreement with Rebi Huda, really Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai didn't disagree when it came to the, wife, the wife's sister either. Sholo poselet yishto. Rather, meaning is that like Beit Hillel, like Rabbi Huda says, the Beit Hillel says that they do not disqualify the wife, meaning she can stay married to him even though he has slept with her sister. A joyous marriage that would be. Alman Nechleku, what are they really? Dis- what are they really dis- disputing? According to Rabbi Yossi, Beva Al Chamoto, and he goes back and says, no, they disagree with what happens if somebody slept, if a man slept with his mother-in-law. She posel that indeed, Beit Shammai says that by sleeping with his, his wife's mother, he ends up disqualifying his own marriage. And Beit Hillel says that he does not um, make his wife disqualified. So Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yossi have a di- dispute over the topic of dispute of Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, and it's directly opposite. Rabbi Yossi, he's going to come and explain, like, why does he, why does he maintain that Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai are not disagreeing over the achot, uh, ishto, uh, what is this? 
um, right? That they're not disagreeing about the wife's sister, but rather, why? Because at the beginning, meaning before they ever got married, this man and this woman, before they ever got married, he was, he could marry anybody, right? And she could marry anybody. And Right, that's They can marry anyone. Tisha, now they're betrothed. He betrothes his wife. He who sorry who as who osra vehi asarato. Right, he betrothes her and he makes her forbidden to everybody else, and she makes him forbidden, but only to her relatives. Right, this is the imbalance between men and women in Jewish marriage where. Um, there are prohibitions against the man in terms of who he can marry in, term, in the wife's family or the betrothed's family, and the wife is now designated only just for this one man. Right, meaning the number of prohibitions on her are greater than the prohibitions on him, right? Because he's only prohibited from now marrying or sleeping with her relatives, and she's prohibited from every every other man in the world. Fine, we understand that this is what uh, Rebiosi is saying in terms of, so far, what the practical difference is of this couple, any couple, really getting married. So Rebiosi says, so this is now we're going to talk about just the logic. We have logic here that's going to explain. So let's play this through, right? He prohibits her to everybody else in the, or every other man in the world. And she, like, let's say then she ends up, um, one second, I just want to read this carefully. She ends up sleeping with somebody who was prohibited to her, right? She, it's by mistake. It's a show gig, right? It's not intentional, right? So she ends up sleeping with somebody who has been prohibited to her, which means anybody who's not this one man who betrothed her. And um, and then he, right, who is prohibited to her relatives, if he then goes and sleeps with one of her relatives, right, then... Shouldn't we make sure that he should be forbidden to her since... All right, let's try this one more time. Basically, it's like this. If Since she prohibit, she was prohibited to all the men in the world and she has this, you know, incidental or accidental, whatever, um, liaison with somebody who's not her husband, but she's allowed, he's allowed, she's allowed to stay married to her husband if she's allowed to stay married to her husband, even though she'd been prohibited to everybody and she's allowed to stay married to him, then when the husband sleeps with one of the few people that she has prohibited him from being with, then shouldn't that, like that, I don't know if it's a lesser prohibition, but it's the numbers are smaller. So then shouldn't it be the case that she should not be prohibited to him the same way that he was not prohibited to her when she had this incident? So the rationale being, in terms of the numbers, that the logic of the greater number of people who are prohibited to her, and yet she's allowed to stay with her husband, so the smaller number of people that are prohibited to him, he should also be able to stay with his wife, or she should be able to stay with him. And the Gemara explains explicitly, like, this 
all this logic, this, uh, you know, this Kalvachomer reasoning is specifically in the case of Shogeg, right? If they somehow had this unintentional, unwitting uh, sleeping together, which, of course, is always kind of uh, a brain teaser how that comes about. But OK, fine. What about for Mazid? Lamazid Minai and Talmud Omar, Ota, Ota, Shrivata Asurata. So what if they had, what if the relationship had been amazing, meaning an intentional sexual act, sexual intercourse between either of them and these people who are not their, the designated betrothed uh, couple, right? So then the Pasuk says, Ota, meaning her, that it's her sleeping with another man that makes her forbidden to her husband, but if her, but her husband, um, but if her husband sleeps with somebody else, including the sister, it does not re- make her forbidden to him. Okay, I think we're going to pause here. Um, Rav Ami says that Rish Lakish has an explanation of why Rabbi Huda said what Rabbi Huda said instead of saying what Rabbi Yossi said. But today is really a Rabbi Yossi day. I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, we're going to do a lot of Rabbi Yossi. I mean, again, there's something very not equitable about this whole Kyle Vachomer. Like, at the end of the day, the woman is treated... I know this is a specific case about a hus- about a man with his wife's sister, but the husband sort of gets, you know, it's easier for him than it is for the woman. And I, you know, I, I wasn't it just a few days ago I said that I actually thought there was something a little progressive towards women here. Well, I take that back. Today. <laughs> I want to just um, make one point because yeah, something right. I said, I, it's something I said that I realize it sounds backwards, but. If it sounds backwards in my words, it also sounds a little backwards in the Gemara's words. The question of whether she's prohibited to him or not, right, by virtue of her sleeping with somebody else, a piece of this Gemara says that she's permitted to him and a piece of the Gemara says that she's forbidden to him. I think the real issue is that that's not the focus of the Gemara. The Gemara is really trying to talk about whether his indiscretion with her sister allows them, you know, means that they can't stay together or that they can't can stay together. And let's table the again, something else to table, the question of what would happen if the wife is the one who has had the indiscretion. Right. That's true. I, I'm more pulling out like sort of what the inference is, right? But that's not the actual uh focus of the DAP itself. So I'm gonna move on to this other part about Raviosi. And remember Raviosi at the end of the Mishnah had this very bizarre statement where he basically said anyone who disqualifies Others disqualify himself as well. And anyone who does not disqualify, right, post-sell others, does not post-sell himself either. So they want to understand what does this mean and what's his machlokas actually with the Tanakama. My comma, Rabbi Yossi. What did Rabbi Yossi Tanakama. If you will say that the Tanakama was saying, remember we had this case, uh, we have two couples. The wives are sisters, right? The, uh, the spouse of one of the couples and the husband of the other couple go away. They're told everyone finds out they're dead. So the remaining, you know, husband, mar- it ends up he marries his wife's sister. Who he, he marries the remaining re- remaining wife, but it's the wife's sister. Um, and so it goes on to say, right, Ishtogi so asira, right? Let's say they both come back. They're both found to be alive. Um, the brother-in-law's wife, right, the sister who he married. Uh, she's going to be forbidden to the brother-in-law, but the brother who married that sister, he can actually take his wife back. And so Rabbi Yossi basically says the following about this. Just as his wife is permitted to him, the husband who had never disappeared at all, his wife is permitted to him. 
right? So too, the brothers-in-law's wife should also be permitted to. Rabbi Yossi sees what's not equitable about this, and it bothers him. So what Rabbi Yossi should have said is, is that the point of saying anyone who does not disqualify others doesn't disqualify himself, meaning if that relationship between the husband who never disappeared, right, the husband who was always there, if his wife is still permitted to him, how could it be that because he married that other woman, she's now not permitted to her husband if he were to return, right? He's not disqualified from his first wife. So how could his second wife be disqualified from her first husband? That's essentially, and they're saying that's what it should have said. So now they're going to explain Rabbi Yossi a little bit differently. But Ella, what Rabbi Yossi means is, Ki hechi so asira. Just that the brother-in-law's wife is prohibited, ishto nami asira. So too his wife is prohibited. So this makes a little bit more sense. What Rabbi Yossi is basically saying is, if one of them isn't going to be able to take his wife back, both of them cannot take his wife back. Gemara is going to object to this also. Hatina kol shaposel. This fits well with the piece that says anyone who disqualifies others disqualifies himself, right? Because it's basically that they all disqualify each other, okay? Kol no posel. But what about the, the clause that says anyone who does not disqualify others does not disqualify himself? My abidate. What's the relevance, right? We don't have a case. There's no case of this because if the cases where the sister is a married woman, the second marriage really should disqualify her from returning to her husband. So what does it mean by anyone who does not disqualify others? So now the Gemara is going to explain what that case is. Amar Rav Ami says, Arisha. This has to do with the first part of the Mishnah, right? Which says, Niseit al-Pibetin, right? That when she, the woman who gets, you know, hears that her husband died, she remarries with the court's, uh, with, you know, with, with, with the court sanction, basically with the court on the, right, with a single witness testimony. And then the first husband returns. Tate says she has to leave both husbands, but she doesn't have to bring a chata because this was a mistake. She means to commit adultery. But let's say she remarried on the basis of two witnesses, right? Tate says she has to leave. And in that case, she's actually chayab to bring a, a, a chatas. So what this means is, is that the, 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 the koach, the power of the beitin is actually higher than that of the two witnesses, because it actually exempts her from bringing a korban. So in other words, single witness with sanctioning of the, of the court sort of absolves the woman in a different way than double witness, which kind of is not exactly what we think because we know like the two witnesses is actually considered to be better. So Ravani basically, you know, explains R- Rabbi Yossi's, you know, um, uh, statement that he makes, uh, you know, to refer to an earlier case in the Mishnah. His comment isn't on the last part of the Mishnah where, you know, that's next to his statement. Um, then Ravami's going to go on. So then he goes on by trying to explain the Tanakama a little bit. Um, and uh, he's going to try to explain the Tanakama. Um, that piece, I'm not, uh, well, well, I guess I could read that a little bit, but Amar Tanakama, what the Tanakama is saying is, it makes no difference whether the sister remarried on the, you know, because of two Adim. Because in the case where his brother-in-law's wife is permitted to remain with her husband, or it makes no difference whether she married with the court sanction, right? In either case, his brother-in-law's wife is going to be prohibited. 
Meaning in either case, the second husband is permitted to stay with his wife when she comes back. Um, and that's basically what the Tanakam is saying. And Rabbi Yossi is basically saying, no, that's not true. If one is not allowed, then both are not going to be allowed. Then he goes on to explain a little bit more about Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi. So Rabbi Yossi would say to the Tanakama, I'll pee baiting if they married with the court sanction to posa al in which case he disqualifies others because he prohibits the, the sister through that marriage. If they're allowed to get married, then the sister is not allowed to basically return to her first husband. Posel then he basically disqualifies himself through that marriage from him being able to return to his wife. Alp but if it's because of Aidan that they got remarried, two, you know, two witnesses, he doesn't disqualify others because then the sister would be permitted to remain with her husband, right? Because it was a real mistake. He doesn't disqualify himself. Uh, he wouldn't disqualify himself either. So in other words, Rabbi Yossi, his ruling is basically about two cases. It's when the husband disqualifies others and where he does not disqualify others. That's, that was basically his statement. And Rav Ami is basically explaining here that it's basically a case where the sister remarried because of two witnesses, right? In one, in that case, the sister would actually be permitted to return to the brother-in-law. And Rabbi Yossi is going to say the second husband is also therefore permitted to remain to, with his original wife. So what Ravami is basically saying is what this is basically about is the Tanakama is basically saying uh, that his ruling, it makes no difference if it's, if it's two witnesses or if it's on the basis of a single witness with the court. And Rabbi Yossi is saying, no, you, 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 you can make a distinction between those two cases is essentially that. Um, the Gemara is going to go on and try to give, uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi is going to give a different explanation where he actually relates it back to the end of the Mishnah. I'm not going to read it just for the sake of time. But I think the point of this and why this passage is particularly troubling, um, and full disclosure, even when I was recording it, you're going to hear a clean version of it. But I, I, there was a lot of editing in this in this episode because it's it's really it's you know it's one of these brain teaser. Dapim, I I think what this you know Daf is really showing us is this is a puzzling Mishnah. It's not a Mishnah that's explanation really truly makes sense. And even within the Gemara's uh, you know um, even within the Gemara's discussion. You know, they basically present, there's Rav Ami's interpretation of how to understand this, there's Rav Yitzchak Nafka's interpretation. And I think what this staff really highlights is Mishnah can be very difficult. Mishnah interpretation is not so easy. Now, again, we know that that's basically what the job of the Gemara is, but I think this particular Mishnah is a very, very difficult Mishnah. It is not clear exactly what this Mishnah means at all, what Rabbi Yossi is talking about, uh, we're going back even to cases that, per, that you know, missions that, per, that uh, were on previous DAPIM. And um, I, I think it really highlights for us, like, the challenge of just learning Mishnah on its own. Like, if you were just learning Yavamos by itself, this would be a difficult Mishnah to learn on its own. It's almost like you need the Gemara to learn this Mishnah at all. On that lofty note, I will say that I, I was thinking as we were going through it, right, I kept thinking that if this were... Uh, you know, the old time daytime soap operas, maybe they're still on, I don't know, right, where they've been so long running that they have to come up with a new wrinkle and a new wrinkle and a new like a more twisted relationship and et cetera, right, where the where the narrative itself gives you more and more and more complicated 
intrigue in the relationships. I feel like, you know, and then if you're a long time soap watcher and you know all these characters, lose track of them in the way that we do when we're trying to define it because it is so twisty and turny. Um, but if, you know, and and if it were that soap opera, we'd be saying, oh, come on, that could never be. Right. So right. I don't know if it yeah. could ever be. This is a soap opera case. I agree. It's like something that would be on a soap opera. Like, how could it be? Right. But we know from in soap operas, people return from the dead all the time. That's exactly <laughs> what this is. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this stop and our Talking Time at Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 